Hi, this is Jacqueline Scott, and you are listening to TV Confidential. Ed Roberts, you want a reminder that we mentioned Remember with Advantages, the theatrical memoir of actor Barry Morris that Barry co-authored along with Anthony Wynn and Robert E. Wood. And with that in mind, folks, we thought that we would spend the remaining moments of this hour by playing an excerpt of an interview that Barry Morris gave to Dave White and me in which Barry talked about his life and career before, during, and after The Fugitive. The conversation originally aired on Sierra Vision Radio back in May 2007, about 10 months before Barry Morris passed away in February 2008, and was recorded using voiceover internet protocol software, which accounts for why Dave's and my voices are heard on the telephone. We began our conversation by asking Barry how he came up with the title for his memoir, Remember with Advantages. Well, uh, you see, I've always thought that would be a wonderful uh, title, but I was amazed to find that nobody had ever made use of it. Because it's, as you, I'm sure, know, uh, if you don't, many of your listeners will, uh, it is a phrase from a play of Shakespeare's uh, called Henry V, in which the king, addressing some of the troops before they go into battle, actually says this marvelous phrase. He says, old men forget, yet all shall be forgot, but he'll remember with advantages what feats he did that day. Uh, and I've always thought that was a marvelous way of expressing one's recollections of things past. And uh, so I was amazed to discover that it had never been used as a title. And so I'm the first ever in history, since Shakespeare's day at least, uh, to make use of it. Well, you're the first to do a number of things, both uh, not only on stage but also on television. Um, many. Many people, uh, Barry, know you either as Lieutenant Gerard in The Fugitive or as a Professor Bergman on Space 1999, but you, you've also done so many other things on television, both both in America and in the U.K. In fact, your your career in television dates back to the very very first uh, television broadcast uh, that originated uh, from the uh, BBC in the mid-1930s. That's right. Yes, could you please uh, talk a little bit about that? Well, you see... Uh Television, as I'm sure some of your listeners will know, uh, originated with the BBC in 1936, when it was a relatively new technique. And very, very few people had television sets, because, of course, they were so expensive. And so anyone who was at all eminent in our profession didn't want to have much to do with it, because it was so poorly paid. But for those of us who were beginners, more or less, at that time, 1935-36, were only too anxious to get our feet wet in any way we could. And so I was lucky enough to go over to uh, the the, the site of the first television station, was a place called Alexandra Palace, uh, over to the north of uh, London. And uh, I was lucky enough to get uh, to do some of those earliest television shows, which unfortunately, or perhaps mercifully, <laughs> were never, never preserved, because there was no means of preserving them. Right. And I always remember that the profession as a whole viewed this new um, technique as something rather uh, extraneous, because uh, I was doing a stage production uh, of which I had to delay joining the rehearsal 
for a few days because I was doing one of these television shows. And uh, uh, when I turned up two or three days late for rehearsal, a senior actor said to me, well, what, are you, what have you been doing, young fellow, that, that made you unable to be with us for the first couple of... And I said, it was for the BBC, sir. Oh, oh, yes, I see, he said. Oh, you've been on the wireless, have you? That was the name <laughs> given to the radio in those days, you see. And I said, well, no, no. Actually, it was for the BBC, but not uh, on the wireless. It was for this uh, new technique. And he said, oh, yes, with great uh, loathing. He said, you're talking about this new television thing, are you? And I said, yes, that's right. And he said, oh, you are a fool, wasting your time on that don't you understand, he said, it's just a fad, like the yo-yo. The public will have forgotten all about it by Christmas. Oh, what a problem oh, he was, what, huh? What, what, what was generally believed. <laughs> I was lucky enough to be in some of the first television productions on this earth, although perhaps mercifully they were not able to be preserved. What did you think the future of television was going to be, Barry? Did you agree with this other fellow, or did you have a different idea? Well, I could see that there was bound to be a future in it when it became possible for people to achieve uh, television sets for less than the considerable amounts of money that a television set cost in those days. A lot of, of stage actors disdained being on television and felt it was beneath their exactly. dignity. How, how did you exactly? Feel? How did you feel? Well, I was like most young people of my era, uh, only too anxious to get my feet wet in any way I could as an actor, and uh, whether it was on the wireless, as they used to call it, or uh, in the theatre itself. Uh, it, it was a great exercise to be able to pull faces and make noises in any way that one was called upon to do. Of course, if memory serves, a few years later, like in the early 50s, when when you and your family moved to Toronto, um, from yes. Toronto you, you, would, you would commute um, back and forth from either L.A. Uh, or New York uh, to work on to work on many of the anthology shows on American television, including uh, classics like um, Playhouse 90. And, and I would think, coming from the stage, Barry, that that would appeal to you because many of those shows were performed live. Yes, indeed. That was a great appeal and a great challenge, of course. And I was lucky enough uh, to be free of the kind of nervous anxiety which so many actors uh, uh, suffer. Uh, I was, having been a cockney as a youth, mm -hmm. I was thoroughly cockney-like and uh, not much <laughs> troubled with with such things as, as nerves. And so I was really only too ready and willing to get my feet wet in any way I could. Well, it's very interesting because, uh, in fact, when I was reading uh, reading about your early years um, in your book, Remember with Advantages, I, I felt a, a kind of kinship with you in the sense that um, you did not come from a stage family. I mean, you're... you're, you're no, not at all. Yeah. And... Both of my parents were servants. Mm -hmm. my, my mother was a maid and my father was a porter, and they first met when they were working on the... Uh, domestic side of the staff of a hospital just outside of London well it was uh, considered to be outside of London in those days, it isn't now more or less uh, but a lovely uh, riverside uh, borough of London called Richmond and they met when they were working in that 
uh, in that staff, where there was a, a staff, if you can believe it, of 13 <laughs> servants taking care of a medical staff of seven doctors. Seven doctors, 13 servants to make a fuss of them. And that's where my, my parents met. And uh, so they had no connections with our profession at all, and in fact, uh, uh, they had never been to a, 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 a what we would nowadays call a legitimate theater. They had been, I think, when they were courting a couple of times, perhaps, to musicals, but they had not been to the uh, uh, to the straight, legitimate, or classic theater. And so I had no connections with that uh, trade at all. So basically, uh, you're, you know, you made you you made your own breaks, and you didn't ride on any coattails. I mean, you know, you 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 made your way to to the Royal Academy, and through you know being uh, one one thing leading to another. I mean, you uh, you forged yourself a, a, into a very successful you know career on stage and later in film and television. Yes, indeed. I realized now how very lucky I was, but my luck was fortified, you might say, strengthened by uh, a, a great deal of nerve. Uh, I, I, I didn't, as so many people do, regard our profession as something dodgy and dicey. Uh, I enjoyed it very much. It was partly because <laughs> I had been encouraged to become a choir boy at what was then a very fashionable and wealthy church uh, in the middle of London uh, because a friend of mine discerned that I had a good, pure, strong treble voice and he said you ought to go and join this choir at this church because they pay their choristers. Not many churches did of course in those days so I went off to this church St. Columbus it was called and um, the director of music there said to me immediately, can you read music? Oh, yes, I said, lying, of course. Uh, <laughs> I was cocky and confident. And uh, he then picked up a hymn book, opened it and passed it to me and said, well, sing that. Well, the book, it shows you the kind of flukes that I was fortunate, fortunate enough to come across. The book happened to be open at a hymn, which I already knew. So I sang it faultlessly. And he said, oh, well, yes, that's quite good. Uh, I sang it without really being able to read it at all. Uh, and that gave me my first taste of the pleasure and excitement of standing up and making noises in front of groups of other people. But when I first started to go to work in the States, after we first went to uh, uh, Canada in the 1950s, uh, I made it a rule, whenever I could avoid it, not to play English parts, because I didn't want to be tight, as English actors so often were, actors like Basil Rathbone and so forth, uh, uh, as, as being somebody who could only play English parts. And I already by that time had learned that I could make, if required, but if the checks didn't bounce, I could make other people's <laughs> noises. So um, I, I started to play lots of American characters, and indeed The Fugitive is the only example, I believe, that there ever has been in the whole history of our trade of an English actor playing a, con a, 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 a an ordinary, conventional American character in an American series. That's why so many people to this day uh, think I'm an American. 
it's not too long ago in fact that uh, I was here in London uh, walking around near Trafalgar Square which is where, near where I live mm-hmm. and a group of tourists came up to me and said oh hi there and, uh, and I could see that they were from the States and so I replied in my ordinary voice which is what you're hearing now I, and said uh, oh that's very kind of you to remember shows of such a long time ago and they said oh gee I'm sorry we, we, we got uh, muddled there we, we thought you were that Barry Morse guy <laughs> and uh, I said well in fact I am but I don't always make those noises you know Barry I, was, I got a kick out of, uh, of this when Ed mentioned that when you did uh, The Fugitive and maybe with others, you were using what he described as an American accent. And I got a kick out of that because, you know, to Americans, we don't have an accent. Everybody else in the world has an accent. That's right. Yeah. Yet, as you well know, there are as many accents and as many varieties of speech in the U.S. of A. as there are states. And depending on where you come from or where you've mostly lived, uh, dictates to a very large extent varieties of noises that people make to each other. Barry Morris from a conversation with Dave White and me that originally aired in May 2007 on Talking Television, the program from which TV Confidential came to be. And the audio you just heard is courtesy of our friends at ShareVision Radio. And as you just heard, Barry Morris was quite proud of the fact that when he played Lieutenant Philip Gerard on The Fugitive, he was the first and for more than 40 years the only British-American actor to have starred in an American television series playing an American character with an American accent. The only other British actor to match Barry's feet was Hugh Laurie. Hugh Laurie, of course, played the American Dr. Gregory House on the long-running Fox television series House. Fugitive, of course, is now available as a complete series box set DVD edition, and among the extra features included on that box set DVD edition are a couple of rarely seen television interviews with Barry Morse, including a segment in which Barry performs in character as Lieutenant Philip Gerard. That is all part of the Fugitive Most Wanted Complete Series box set DVD edition, available now through CBS Home Entertainment. You can now purchase t-shirts, mugs, caps, hoodies, wall clocks, and other gifts with the TV Confidential logo from the official TV Confidential merchandise shop. For more information, go to televisionconfidential.com forward slash merchandise or cafepress.com forward slash TV Confidential, cafepress.com forward slash TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.